This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Basically, Linda got sent away to Toronto to the Salvation Army home to have our daughter. That was it. That's Ray Cave talking about his high school sweetheart, Linda Daw, from the Vision TV special, Love Later in Life. The two were separated by their parents after Linda became pregnant and remained separated until they reunited over 40 years later at their high school reunion. Now they're married and have built a relationship with the daughter they once gave up for adoption. Today, Ray and Linda share their remarkable story. And continuing with the theme of love, I'll talk about the science with Dr. Jaime Anisman. He says the feeling of being loved can have positive health benefits for the brain. And it was this week in 1964 that kicked off the British invasion as the Beatles made their first trip to America and their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. We'll travel back and revisit that historic performance. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Turns out Bill Clinton wasn't the first U.S. president to fool around with an intern. One of John F. Kennedy's former interns has broken her silence about an affair she had with the president starting in 1962. Mimi Alford opened up to NBC This Week, saying that the affair began only four days after she started at the White House on a private tour from the president that wound up in the first lady's bedroom. He then put his hands on my shoulders and sort of guided me down to the edge of the bed. And I, I think he may have even said to me, is this all right? I didn't really know what was about to happen. And then what did happen was... I lost my virginity right there. It was the beginning of an affair that lasted 18 months. During that time, the president would put her up in the White House's private residence, take her on official trips, give her gifts, and even call her while she was away at college. However, she says, the affair still lacked the romance of a proper relationship. I don't really remember the president ever kissing me, and that makes me sad. Sad news in Toronto's Jewish community. Rabbi Gunther Plout of Holy Blossom Temple died peacefully at Baycrest Hospital at the age of 99 last Wednesday. He left Germany where he was raised to escape the Nazis before World War II and immigrated to the U.S. He served as Jewish chaplain in the American forces from 1943 to 46 and has held reform pulpits in Chicago, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Toronto. As a frequent contributor to various newspapers, he was for many years the chief spokesman for Canada's Jewish community. He helped redesign this country's rules for refugees and served on the Ontario Human Rights Commission, as well as writing scholarly works on Judaism. 
The world's last surviving veteran of the First World War has passed away at 110. Florence Green grew up in London and was just 17 when she signed up for the Women's Royal Air Force. She was the last surviving person to have served in World War I following the death of British-born sailor Claude Shule in Australia last year. Mrs. Green spent her time in the war serving officers breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and would often spend time wandering the base, as she put it, admiring the pilots. A pair of twins in the Aberdeenshire region of Scotland has been named the oldest living twins by the Guinness Book of World Records. Edith Ritchie and Evelyn Middleton are 102 years old. They both spent their youth working on farms until they got married and started families. Both sisters had four children of their own, which led to plenty of grandchildren and even more great-grandchildren. Now they spend their days together in the Bonnyton House Care Home in Ellen, a small town just north of Aberdeen. When asked the secret to such a long life, Edith replied, simple living, hard work, and a good husband. Three paintings from Elizabeth Taylor's personal art collection have been auctioned off for 14 million pounds, or over 22 million Canadian dollars. The three pieces were by Vincent van Gogh, Edgar Degas, and Claude Pissarro. Originally, they were estimated to bring about 6 million pounds, but Van Gogh's Vue de la Cille et de la Chapelle de Saint-Rémy brought in over $10 million by itself. In December, other items from the late actress's estate, including her jewelry collection, furniture, and memorabilia, were auctioned for over $150 million. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This Tuesday, Vision TV will be celebrating Valentine's Day with a special called Love Later in Life. The show features four couples who all found each other long after the age most of us expect to do that. One of the couples, Linda Daw and Ray Cave, have an unusual twist. They were high school sweethearts for five years. However, after an unplanned pregnancy, the couple were split up by their parents and didn't meet again until their 40th high school reunion. I had the chance to talk to Linda and Ray about their story earlier this week. Linda and Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure, Libby. Thank you for inviting us. Take us back. So what's the whole story? You dated in high school. We did. We dated in high school uh, all the way through. Uh, we had our first date in uh, December 1963, and we went skating at the local arena. We came home on the bus, and uh, he gave me my first kiss goodnight. And from that moment on, all the rest of the way through high school, we dated. And then you were separated. Well, we were separated because I got pregnant, and my parents uh, decided to send me away. And I was underage. I was 17, so I had no rights at that time. And Ray and I couldn't convince our parents to um, let us stay together. Mm-hmm. Ray, what was your reaction at the time? Well, it's quite a shock after four years when your girlfriend gets pregnant and basically somewhat embarrassing. However, we both looked for our parents to tell us, okay, what do we do next? Do, do we get married? She's 17. She's in high school. I didn't have a job. So, unfortunately, both sets of parents never gave us a chance to uh, communicate about what we wanted to do, and we were left in the dark until the decision was made by Linda's parents, well, this is not acceptable, you're too young, whatever the excuses were back in the 60s, uh, they decided that no, Linda was going to be sent to the Salvation Army home in Toronto, have uh, what turned out to be our daughter, and adopted, and that's it. The relationship's over. You'll never get together again. And you never did. 
We tried to, well, after the baby was born and adopted out, we tried to get back together in the summer of 67. And our last time we actually met was in Christmas time. But by that time, our parents have basically said, well, it's time to move on with your life. And uh, in effect, we did. I ended up going to a university, and uh, Lynn ended up going back to high school. So although we tried to get back together, there was no support from anybody in terms of, okay, now what do we do? You were separated for more than 40 years, and then you found each other again. How did that happen? Uh, we had a high school reunion in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, and um, I attended and so did Ray. Someone had asked me if I was coming, and I said, yes, I was, on the information board. And Ray sort of picked up on that and wrote me an email. He didn't write it to me, but he wrote a general email because we weren't allowed to give her email addresses. It was very strange, actually, but it was back in 2006. And uh, he basically said, you know, if you're the Linda I should have married in high school, we should meet at the high school reunion at the cocktail party on Friday night. So after I jumped back about 20 feet from my computer upon reading this. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't even catch my breath. I thought, oh, my gosh, it can't be him. It just can't be. And so I wrote back and I said, "Um, I may be the Linda that you should have married in high school. I guess we'll find out at the reception at the high school on Friday night. We'd both been at the high school reunion for several hours, and there was over a 1,000 people at the venue. So I was thinking about leaving, and I was walking toward the exit, and we ran into each other. And he fell to his knees and kissed my hand. He didn't tell me for about three or four months that basically his knees just buckled. (laughs) It it was not a conscious effort. (laughs) But uh, from that moment, that was it. And I said to him, I have three questions. And he said, okay. And I said, do you know where our daughter is? And he said, nope. I said, are you married or do you have a girlfriend? And he said, nope. And I said, would you take me to dinner? And he said, yes. And we've never left each other since that moment that we met. Never. Do you have any idea where your daughter is? Have you tried to find her? Uh, yes, we have. We got married in 07. And then we, uh, after we got married, Ray and I, as um, a couple, decided once we got that done that we would go searching for our daughter. And we found her. In February 08. Yes, tell me. (laughs) What we did was we solicited the Sioux Star, which is a local newspaper, to potentially do a story for us because we were searching for it. We had no name, right? That was one of the big problems, Libby. We had no name to go on. So they did. They wrote an article, and it was the whole front page of the Sioux Star with a picture of our, our prom picture and a picture of when we got married 40 years later. And we got an anonymous type of email for someone saying to us about a month later, I believe I know the cousin of your daughter, and this is the person's phone number. So you wrote the adoptive mother first? We actually, we phoned her first, and she talked to us for a little while, and she's the one that suggested we write a letter to her. She said that she would give the letter to her daughter. I see. Okay. Our daughter. And how long before you met your daughter? Well, it was another couple of months of waiting. It was like hanging from, you know, a thread the whole time. It was a fairly tenuous situation, and we had to be very careful because we were basically disrupting not just our daughter's lives, but everyone in their family and their relatives. And we knew that if we didn't walk on tiptoes and be very careful, that we could mess it up. So we've created a relationship. It's absolutely fantastic. We have two grandchildren, a lovely son-in-law, Uh, They don't live too far from here. It's a little bit complex because she has her own family, and um, 
and the people who raised her, and uh, she was never told, her and her brother were never told that they were adopted. So this was huge for her and her family and uh, her adoptive uh, mother. But we do have a good relationship now, uh, and um, we've learned a lot about what reunion is all about. Okay, on that note, happy Valentine's Day to you both. Any special plans? Uh, We're probably going to go out to dinner and celebrate. Okay, well, that sounds good. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. To hear Linda and Ray's full story, be sure to tune in to Love Later in Life this Tuesday, Valentine's Day at 8.30 on Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. actually some hard science behind that prescription. In just a moment, I'll talk to Dr. Jaime Anisman to learn about love's positive effects on the brain. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Everyone wants to be loved. As a matter of fact, as humans, we're hardwired for that. With Valentine's Day approaching, it's a perfect time to get a little insight into the science of love and why feeling loved leads to a healthier mind. I reached Dr. Jaime Anisman in Ottawa, where he works as a neuroscientist at Carleton University. Thank you very much for joining us for our Valentine's Day edition. (laughs) Okay, it's my pleasure. How does feeling loved lead to a healthier mind? Love is a form of support in in most cases when there's a person who's behind you who you're close to they're going to protect you in a sense from the bad things that might otherwise occur once stressful events happen now it it does this through many ways uh... the two most prominent one is that they're simply there for you to help you solve problems shoulders crying as i said before and in this way helps uh... deter the bad effects of stressors on brain functioning the second thing is that uh, there's a chemical that appears as a hormone called oxytocin, which seems to be quite important for bonding. But oxytocin has effects more than just bonding. Uh, It seems to be important in all sorts of pro-social behaviors. So whether it's uh, something like social support, providing support to others, whether it's in a caregiving capacity, taking care of an elderly person with problems, or whether it's in uh, social situations such as trust, uh, which is important in keeping people together, oxytocin plays an important role. I'm told that you can do things to release more oxytocin in your brain, like hugging and cuddling, all those things uh, produce oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Um, presumably, if you have the, the right people to huddle and cuddle with, uh, oxytocin levels will go up, and that's positive. Is that going to get rid of stress? Well, it, presumably it will help. But remember, you also have the good social support going with it, and that helps as well. But then the question is, what about the people who don't have the, uh, a partner uh, to help them deal with stresses or to help them increase their oxytocin levels? If you're not in the perfect relationship, what can you do inside of yourself to release some of those good hormones like oxytocin? Um, you know, it'll sound corny as anything, mm-hmm. but here goes. What I've suggested to people is sometimes giving something is very helpful. Okay, you find a lot of people when they're 
unhappy, when they're depressed, they withdraw. Their social support seeking diminishes and so forth. And what I've recommended to people is instead of just sitting there, take some positive action. Go volunteer, say, at a soup kitchen or walking some distance for some cause. Very often giving something is very, very positive. And that same giving, for all I know, I might be right, I might not be, uh, might have the positive component of releasing oxytocin. You're, you're doing something positive. But on top of this, you're going to end up meeting a whole bunch of other people like yourself. Okay, Some are very nice, some might not be so nice, but you'll meet a new social network. So doing something good for others often does something good for yourself. Some people used to think that when you go visit a sick person, you're taking away one-sixtieth of their illness. Well, you don't catch it. You don't catch one sixtieth. But it's thought to be a good thing to visit other people. But it's not just for that other person, the sick person, that it's good for. It's good for you as well. You've done something positive. That sounds like excellent advice. And, and my final question, I, th- I think I heard that uh, does chocolate release oxytocin? I don't know, but it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I just like the taste of dark chocolate. Okay, well, it's apparently healthy for you. Okay, Dr. Anisman, thank you very much. My pleasure. Happy Valentine's Day. You too. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740 Zoomer Radio. Apparently, it was so loud you could hardly hear the airplanes. That was the sound of over 3,000 teenagers screaming as the Beatles touched down at JFK Airport in 1964. They were in America for their first performance on The Ed Sullivan Show, and in just a moment, we'll return with a look back at that historic broadcast. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. 3,000 screaming teenagers are at New York's Kennedy Airport to greet, you guessed it, the Beatles. This rock and roll group has taken over as the kingpins of musical appreciation among the younger elements. That was February 7, 1964. It was an event that many consider the start of the British invasion and Beatlemania. Two days later, on February 9th, the Beatles made their historic debut on The Ed Sullivan Show. According to the Nielsen ratings, the show was watched by 74 million people, over 40% of the American population at the time. It was the first of three consecutive performances on The Ed Sullivan Show, which aired every Sunday in February. These performances have since become some of the most iconic television moments in the history of the medium. Let's travel back to the night it all began and hear Ed Sullivan as he introduces the Beatles to the American viewing audience. And now, here he is, Ed Sullivan! Thank you very now, yesterday and today, our theater's been jammed with newspapermen and hundreds of photographers from all over the nation, and these veterans agree with me that the city never has witnessed the excitement stirred by these youngsters from Liverpool who call themselves the Beatles. Now, tonight, you're going to twice be entertained by them. Right now, and again in the second half of our show, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! Let's... Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Send all my love in 
I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips I am missing and hope that my dreams will come true. And then while I'm away, I'll back home every day and I'll send all my loving to you. with All My Loving, the first song they performed in their first ever performance on The Ed Sullivan Show. And that happened almost exactly 47 years ago on February 9th, 1964. How would you like to live a completely healthy life into your 90s and beyond? Next week, I'll talk to Dr. David Agus, who has a practical prescription on how to do just that in his new book, The End of Illness. That's next Sunday at noon on the Zoomer Week in Review, right here on the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.